Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. Colin Kaepernick continues to trash the NFL. Democrats wait for some actual first-hand testimony in their impeachment inquiry. And Pete Buttigieg jumps into the lead in Iowa. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's how my listeners secure their internet. It's how I secure my internet. Join them at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Okay, tons to get to today. We'll talk impeachment inquiry in just one second. But here is the thing. I think that as this impeachment inquiry continues, it's pretty obvious to everybody that this thing is breaking down into simple partisan lines, right? Tribalist lines. People aren't worried about asking questions if they are on the right. People aren't really worried about asking questions if they are on the left. If you are a Democrat, you believe that Trump should be impeached. Of course, you believe that Trump should be impeached literally the day the man was elected. If you are a Republican, you believe that pretty much no matter what Trump did, it would be very difficult to get you to agree that he ought to be impeached, which is why when you talk to a lot of Republicans and you say, okay, what is the standard by which Trump's behavior is impeachable? Nobody will actually give you a standard. It's a, it's a sort of moving target. On the left, the target is moving too, meaning what did he do today? Well, that thing's impeachable. That thing's, and one of the reasons that this is happening is because the presidency has basically become a surrogate for our broader feelings about each other in this country. How you feel about Trump is a Rorschach test. If you are on the left, you see President Trump as a departure from American norms. He's violating everything, right? Everything that he does is something different and out of the box and terrible and new. And President Trump, at the same time, is a retrograde throwback to segregation and Jim Crow. President Trump is the worst of all possible worlds, and thus he must be ousted. And if you're on the right, you look at Trump, and what you see mostly is somebody who is a dam holding back the raging waters of resentment that are so evident on the left, a left that wants to fundamentally change the definition of Americanism, wants to make it so that fundamental constitutional freedoms are under assault, wants to rewrite the bargain of what it means to be American, rewrite our basic freedoms, freedom of speech into hate speech laws, freedom of religion into cram downs by government on your religious institutions. And so Trump is the avatar of we're not going to do that. So if you're on the left, you see Trump as a symbol of everything wrong with the retrograde America. And if you're on the right, you see Trump as a bulwark against the left that seeks to rewrite the bargain of Americanism and destroy everything. And sure, he ain't the greatest tool. Sure, he may do things you don't like. But in the end, he's the guy. He's on the wall. You need him on the wall. And that's why the wall has to stand. And that's what impeachment comes down to. And every day we have a dumb cultural controversy. Every day we have another idiotic culture war. It reinstates these lines. It reinforces these lines. Because the more the left pushes on something stupid, the more the right says, I don't care who's on the wall, but I need somebody on that wall. And at the same time, the more the left picks issues where the right opposes, the left says, oh, well, you know, it's because these people are terrible and awful. And that's why Trump should be impeached. And that's why we need somebody who is way, we need to rewrite the entire American bargain. We need to tear this thing out by its roots. 
So to understand people's views of Trump, you actually have to understand people's views of where America is more generally. Okay, so that's why these culture wars matter. People tend to think the culture wars don't matter. And they tend to boil down Trump's performance in 2016 or in 2020. They tend to boil that down to economic factors. And so the going theory has been that Trump won in 2016 because there were a lot of economically depressed areas, particularly in the heartland of America, that were disproportionately white, dying manufacturing towns that had been left behind by Barack Obama and free trade. And that, and therefore, they turned to Trump in a moment of panic. And they still like Trump. And this is what the theory says. The theory says that because of economics, a bunch of high school educated white men who can't get jobs in the big city are tending toward Trump. And therefore, as we move into 2020, so long as the economy is good, so long as Trump is attempting to prove that he is bringing jobs back to these manufacturing areas, they're likely to stick with him anyway, right? It's all economics. But the truth is, that most of Trump's appeal is not, in fact, an economic appeal. Sure, that plays into it, obviously. The economy always plays into it. But if Trump were to lose in 2020, in large part, that would be a measure of people's take on Trump personally, not on the state of the economy. And more importantly, Trump only is able to win. This is what the left doesn't understand. Trump is able to win not because of economic issues. Right, The economy was already doing fairly well in 2016. Trump was able to win in 2016 because the Democrats have declared culture war on people in the middle and on the right in this country. And so every dumb culture war actually cuts in Trump's favor. You know, people on the left are sick of hearing people on the right say this is why Trump won. But the real reason that Trump won is because of the culture wars. And so every culture war you guys declare that falls apart on you on on impact, whether it is the Covington Catholic kids or whether it is the Justice Kavanaugh hearings, any of those are going to cut in Trump's favor. So in a second, I'm going to bring you the latest couple of culture wars that are important. I'm going to explain why they are important, even though they are indeed incredibly stupid. They are stupid issues. Okay, these are dumb issues that really should not divide Americans. These should be issues that that really are not on the public mind. They shouldn't be on the front page of newspapers, and yet they are. We're going to get to those in just one second. First, let's talk about a fantastic, fantastic company. So the fact is that every morning I wake up, wake up early with my kids, got to get them ready for school. My wife has to go off to the hospital and work as a doctor because as you know, she's a doctor. And that means I need a cup of coffee. And when I say I need a cup of coffee, I mean like I will not function if I do not have my black rifle coffee. Well, U.S. service members go without many of life's simple pleasures when stationed overseas. A good cup of coffee doesn't have to be one of them. Say thank you for your service without actually saying it by buying a bag of premium small batch black rifle coffee company coffee for yourself, BRCC will donate a bag to be shipped to be deployed U.S. service members. Throughout November, for each coffee purchase, Black Rifle Coffee Company will give a bag of their limited time offer holiday roast to troops overseas to be delivered by Christmas. Supporting the troops has never been easier or more delicious. Let me tell you, again, I start my day every day with a cup of Black Rifle Coffee. My favorite roast, just black, because, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it's not lying about it. With tons of different roasts to choose from, Black Rifle ships the best roast to order coffee directly to your door. And let me tell you something. The dudes at Black Rifle Coffee, they are awesome, awesome guys. I know them. I know the people who founded the company. They are great. When you support the company, you're supporting them. And you can support the military, too. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash BenGive to get 20% off your first purchase and help Black Rifle donate a bag of delicious coffee to our troops serving overseas. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash BenGive. Again, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash BenGive. Go check them out. Awesome, awesome dudes. And when you support them, you support the show. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash BenGive. Okay, so dumb culture war of the weekend number one. Remember Colin Kaepernick? Remember how he hasn't been in the NFL for like three years? Remember how he was benched for Blaine Gabbert because he was a bad quarterback? Remember how he went to the Super Bowl and everybody was like, this guy is the future of the NFL. And then he started to suck and he got benched. And all of a sudden he was kneeling on the sidelines and he was at the top of the headlines. 
And then remember, nobody would sign him because it turns out he's not only not a very good quarterback, but he's very polarizing to audiences. And it turns out the NFL is in the entertainment business. And then it turns out that Colin Kaepernick is given a million-dollar contract by Nike to bitch about America, basically. He's given a million-dollar contract by Nike to talk about how brave he is for kneeling on the sidelines while receiving a million-dollar contract from Nike for kneeling on the sidelines. And then he gets to whine about the Betsy Ross flag on Nike sneakers, and Betsy and Nike immediately pulls the Betsy Ross flag off because for some reason the Betsy Ross flag, which stood behind Barack Obama at his 2008 inauguration, apparently that Betsy Ross flag is deeply, deeply racist. Well, the entire media buys into the Colin Kaepernick myth. And the entire media, the sports media, the news media, he is a victim. He's a victim in America. He's a victim of brute racism and American society's unwillingness to have tough conversations about things like police violence, which we've been having as a society ongoing for, I don't know, decades at this point. Okay, so Colin Kaepernick was a great hero of the republic, according to the left. And this is a dumb culture war because President Trump got involved and he said, no, he's not a culture hero. And also the NFL should fire anybody who does this. And that, of course, is not the right solution. And it turns into this big culture war about whether you like Colin Kaepernick or whether you don't like Colin Kaepernick. Now, the whole thing is stupid. And the reason the whole thing is stupid is because the vast majority of Americans are on the same page on most of these issues in a reasonable way. Meaning the vast majority of Americans think that the police are doing their best and trying to do a good job. The vast majority of Americans also believe that if a police officer does something racist, that police officer should be fired. And if he does so in the course of his job, he should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. The vast majority of Americans are also in favor of the American flag and do not see the American flag as a symbol of repression or oppression, particularly not in 2019, when we live in the freest, most prosperous country in the history of the world. These several propositions, the vast majority of Americans agree about. Now, when it comes to should somebody be allowed to kneel for the national anthem, there are some people who say yes, some people who say no. But the general perception in America is if you want to kneel for the national anthem, go for it, but you look like a douchebag, right? I mean, that, that is the general perception in the United States of America and a perception with which I broadly agree, right? You're free to do it, just like you're free to burn the flag, but also it makes you a jerk. And so all of these things can be true. But the media insists that Colin Kaepernick is in fact the greatest, wisest among us than when he was on the field wearing pictures on his socks of cops as pigs, that somehow this was okay. And people on the right went nuts because they said, okay, this is, we're being gaslit here. We're being told that this person is trying to improve America. You don't improve America by kneeling for the national anthem and wearing socks that have a cop as a pig on them. Okay, so Colin Kaepernick plays this thing all the way to the end, right? He plays this string all the way out, picks up his check from Nike, rips on the American flag, rips on the Betsy Ross flag, and he was not a very good quarterback. And the dirty little secret is that the reason that he was benched is because he was a bad quarterback, not because of the kneeling. He was benched before the kneeling. And then it turns out that as a not very good quarterback, who also happens to bring a tremendous amount of public liability with him, a lot of places were like, do we really want the hassle of this guy? Especially because if we then let him go, he is going to complain that we are being mean to him on the basis of his race. Okay, so all of this comes to a head this weekend because Colin Kaepernick was given a workout by the NFL. The NFL offered to organize a private workout for him and invited every single, league, every single team in the league to attend, according to ESPN. According to Amanda Prestigiacomo reporting for The Daily Wire, the session, according to ESPN, allowed Kaepernick an on-field workout and an interview, which would be both taped and made available to all teams. Moreover, the workout was set up to provide teams anonymity, so if they watched Kaepernick and didn't want him, they wouldn't catch flack. This was done to encourage more teams to attend the event, thus helping the quarterback secure a position. But this was not good enough for Kaepernick. So Kaepernick canceled the workout abruptly over the weekend on Saturday, about a half hour before the session was supposed to begin, apparently because he wasn't allowed to bring his own camera crew because he wanted to grandstand. And the NFL said, no, if you really want to work in the NFL, then we are going to tape it and all of the teams will show up, but you're not allowed to grandstand and then 
call out the Miami Dolphins for not signing you or something. According to CBS News, the workout was originally set for 3 p.m. It was to be held at the Atlanta Falcons practice facility in Flowery Branch. At 2.30, representatives for the free agent quarterback informed the league that Kaepernick would instead be conducting the workout at 4 p.m. at Drew High School in Riverdale, Georgia, according to CBS News. So Kaepernick attended his own workout in a Kunta Kinte t-shirt, comparing himself to the defiant slave from the movie Roots. Because when I think of Colin Kaepernick, I think of a person who was forced into involuntary servitude and then whipped. I mean, that, that's, that's why uh, Colin Kaepernick, Kunta Kinte, exactly the same, if you're an insane person. Now, of course, there's an iconic scene in the film Roots where Kunta Kinte is whipped by his master for refusing to acknowledge his slave name, Toby. A statement from Kaepernick's agent and lawyer released before the workout blamed a liability waiver and the NFL denying the quarterback the opportunity to bring his own camera crew to the workout for their decision to ditch the event with such little notice. Also, they used as an excuse the fact that the NFL forced him to sign a, a liability waiver, okay, which is a normal liability waiver because if he gets hurt in the course of this, they don't want the NFL to be sued. According to the NFL, the waiver Kaepernick threw a fit over was a standard liability waiver based on the waiver used by National Invitational Camp at all NFL combines and by NFL clubs when trying out free agent players. Also, Kaepernick didn't inform them of his request to have his own personal camera crew attend the event until Friday night. They said, we heard for the first time last night, around the same time we heard from Nike, that Colin wanted to bring his own video crew. We heard for the first time this afternoon that Colin wanted to open the event to all media. And so this has been his routine. He came out after his training session. Apparently, scouts said that he was mediocre, that he still has arm strength, which was never his problem. His problem is that he couldn't make a secondary read, right? His problem is that he would run before he actually did his read progression and that he was not accurate in throws downfield. Those were his big problems. He had a lot of arm strength always. He still has his arm strength. He's 32 years old and he's a strong guy. I mean, why not? But here was Colin Kaepernick afterward proclaiming himself a hero of the Republic. I've been ready for three years. I've been denied for three years. We all know why I came out here, showed it today in front of everybody. We have nothing to hide. So we're waiting for the 32 owners, the 32 teams, Roger Goodell, all of them to stop running. Stop running from the truth. Stop running from the people. We're out here. We're ready to play. We're ready to go anywhere. My agent, Jeff Nally, is ready to talk to any team. I'll interview with any team at any time. I've been ready. I'm staying ready. And I'll continue to be ready. Okay, so in other words, the way that you are auditioning for teams to hire you is by being a head case and a pain in the ass. I mean, that, that really is what this is. And because this is not anymore about police brutality or free speech or anything like that. This is about why would, if you're a team owner, why would you possibly hire a guy as probably a third string quarterback who, if he does not play, is immediately going to go to the media and suggest that you are a brutal, vicious racist? Okay, so Stephen A. Smith over at ESPN, who is no right winger. Okay, Stephen A. is no rabid right winger. He slammed Colin Kaepernick over this, and then he got a bunch of flack from the left because this is how our dumb society works. Here's Stephen A. Smith going after Kaepernick and saying this is all grandstanding nonsense. Colin Kaepernick wants to change the venue. Colin Kaepernick wants his own receivers. Colin Kaepernick wants to video things himself. Colin Kaepernick wants the media. This Colin Kaepernick, media can't find him. He ain't done no interviews. He ain't talked to nobody. Media can't find him, but he wants to do it. He wants the media available now. He don't want to play. He wants to be a martyr. But guess what? It ain't working this time. So Stephen A. Smith then gets an enormous amount of flack from the left because he said a true thing. But by the way, this is the consensus, even with a lot of folks 
on the left who are concerned about racial issues from a left-leaning perspective. There's a report yesterday that Jay-Z told Sports Illustrated that he is, quote, disappointed with Collins' actions and believes he turned a legitimate workout into a publicity stunt. Now, Jay-Z has been a longtime Kaepernick supporter. Apparently, he was rumored to have had a hand in organizing the Saturday workout with the NFL athlete to help the athlete secure a position with the team, again, according to Amanda Prestigiacomo over at Daily Wire. As noted by the undefeated, Jay-Z's Carter's Rock Nation Entertainment Company signed on with the NFL this summer to lead the organization Music and Entertainment Endeavors. Asked by a reporter if he'd kneel or stand for the national anthem, Jay-Z responded earlier this year, I think we're past kneeling. I think it's time to go into actionable items. I think everyone knows what the issue is. We're done with that. Okay, next. Where are we moving on next? Okay, so here's the right's response to all of this, right? We knew all this from the beginning and where were all of you? Like really, we all knew this was grandstanding nonsense from the very beginning and that this was Colin Kaepernick's way of getting a headline and making money. So where were all of you? Or was this just another way to divide the country for purposes of dividing the country? For, for the left, it was a way of dividing the country over a dumb issue where again, there is broad agreement you're allowed to kneel for the anthem. You're allowed to burn the flag. It also makes you a jerk to do so. Also, we all agree that if the police act in a racist way, that is a bad thing. If, we, if the police do something wrong, they should be prosecuted. But the police are overwhelmingly doing their best to make cities safer. Like we all, there's a vast amount of agreement on these issues. And what the left does too often, and this is true in the case of the cultural left with Kaepernick, what the left does too often is they pick a bad example. And then if you oppose their bad example, they say that you oppose the underlying idea. Right, so they pick a, a jerk like Kaepernick. And then if you say, I don't like what Kaepernick is doing, I think he's doing something bad, doing something wrong, and doing something that is bad for the country, then they say, well, it's because you don't care about police racism. Right? This, this is the routine that the left would like to play. And the right's response to this typically is, well, go, you know, F you. <laughs> right? that, that is the right's response to all of this. Okay, we're seeing more of these incredibly stupid cultural controversies brought up by the left. And this is why, uh, again, this all plays into the Trump impeachment inquiry because how you see Trump is basically deciding how you see this impeachment inquiry. Nobody sees this as a nonpartisan effort to get to the bottom of, of the matter. Nobody sees this as a real defense of the Constitution. Everybody sees this for what it is, which is a deeply political exercise. And where you come down on that political exercise is largely dependent on where you come down in these culture wars. I'll show you another dumb cultural controversy of the day in just one second. First, let's talk about upgrading your employees. So, you know, let's say that you have an employee. I know it gets hit a lot, like an employee named Nick. And let's say he has a wide variety of skills from hunting in the Amazon to carving menorahs out of particular types of wood. But let's say also that this, this Nick fellow, let's say that at the time when he's supposed to be cutting audio or listening to audio, he's actually doing yoga in the back rooms in front of all of the other producers who are cutting audio. Well, let's say that you wanted to upgrade over Nick. Let's say that he just went away for a couple of days and he came back and there was somebody who replaced him. What would be the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. If you post on ZipRecruiter, you can count on being able to at least see some resumes that are going to match what you're looking for. And ZipRecruiter will help you file through those. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the very first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Okay, so the other dumb cultural controversy of the weekend. So now Chick-fil-A has been forced to stop giving money to charities that don't support the LGBT agenda. According to biznow.com, as Chick-fil-A expands globally and into more liberal parts of the U.S., the chicken chain plans to change which charities it donates to. 
after years of bad press and protests from the LGBT community. Beginning next year, Chick-fil-A will move away from its current philanthropic structure, according to BizNow. Now, by the way, remember, Chick-fil-A has never discriminated against a gay person in their service, ever. Okay, if a gay person comes in with their partner, if a transgender person comes in and wants a chicken sandwich, nobody behind the counter is like, sorry, you can't eat here. Instead, what happened is that the corporate heads of Chick-fil-A were giving money to, wait for it, wait for it, the Salvation Army. The brutal, evil, terrible Salvation Army, which, by the way, was subjected to yet more threats of boycott over the last couple of weeks when the British singer Ellie Golding suggested she wouldn't sing at halftime of the Dallas Cowboys football game unless the Salvation Army disassociated from its supposed anti-LGBT agenda, of which there is none. So let's just make clear. Right now in America, if you hold particular views on particular subjects and you give your own charity to those views, but in your business life, you service all customers the same, that is not good enough for the left. The left wants to control how you give your money. If you politically disagree, they want to ban you from public places. And then you wonder why people are resonating to Trump. That is the reason why people are resonating to Trump. I mean, poll numbers show, by the way, that a lot of the people who moved Obama to Trump did so on the basis of cultural concerns, not on the basis of race, as the left would like to suggest, on the basis of cultural concerns, on the basis that the left has moved so radical so fast that if you are in any business and in your private life, you give to a church and that church happens to stand by the biological and logical standard that there's such a thing as a male and such a thing as a female, that you will be boycotted for that. We've seen the left come after actors like Chris Pratt for the great sin of going to a traditional church that suggests that men and women are different. How dare he? How dare he? And now they're coming after Chick-fil-A and Chick-fil-A, because it's a company and wants to make money, is caving to the cultural left. And the predictable result of this is going to be that people on the right are going to do the same thing. People on the right are going to look at left-leaning companies, you know, companies that provide great product, but are also backing causes that people on the right don't like, right? that are giving money to various lefty organizations. And they're going to say, okay, well, fine, we're going to ban you from our cities. You, you want to ban Chick-fil-A from the Chicago airport? Okay, well, we're going to ban your organization from the Birmingham airport. Right? You will see this move by the right, and it will be perfectly appropriate by the standards of the left. Now, I don't like any of this. I think it's bad for the country. I think that you should go eat the best chicken sandwich you can, and you shouldn't think too much about whether the people who are making you the chicken sandwich have views different from your own. Because if we start segregating into, I'm only going to do business with people with whom I agree, that, that further divides the country in pretty terrible ways. Obviously, there are limits to that. And if you believe that the person is giving money to a Nazi organization or something, you know, something that is completely outside what we would call the Overton window, then I think that there's a, a somewhat, a pro maybe, maybe, I, I, I can even see the argument that you shouldn't even look into that. Right, that it's better for the country if you don't worry about at all the viewpoint of the person whose company you are patronizing. The reason being, again, that we do live in a common polis. And if you want the best products, the best possible price, then you should stop worrying about what people think. It's a free country. And the sort of cultural crackdown that is happening right now, where we are supposed to not patronize the businesses that are disassociated from the views of the owners, that that, that leads to a very bad logic. Now, I'm not talking about businesses where the, the, view, the, the owner's viewpoint actually filters in. So for example, if you were a gay person and Chick-fil-A were discriminating against gay people in its service, like they didn't want to serve gay people, I think it's totally appropriate for you to say, I'm not eating there. But if you won't go to a company because you've researched the CEO and you disagree with the political viewpoint of the CEO, but the service of the company is exactly the same for you as anybody else and they're not discriminating in their service, that their political viewpoint doesn't make a difference in their service, I think there's a good case to be made in America that you basically should stop worrying so much about what other people think and start worrying about whether they are providing you the service and goods to which you have contracted.
And that'd probably be better for the country. But the left only applies this to one side of the aisle, obviously. And so now they're now going after Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A president and chief operating officer Tim Tassipolis said in an interview with BizNow, there's no question we know that as we go into new markets, we need to be clear about who we are. There are lots of articles and newscasts about Chick-fil-A, and we thought we needed to be clear about our message. So they're no longer going to support the Salvation Army, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, or the Paul Anderson Youth Home, all of which sparked criticism in the past from LGBT community thanks to the organization's stances on homosexuality because the Salvation Army isn't a clear and open supporter of same-sex marriage. So unless you celebrate the left's cultural goals, they will boycott you. And not only will they boycott you, they will get your restaurants banned from public spaces because several U.S. airports have actually rejected Chick-fil-A from concessions deals earlier this year. The landlord of the first Chick-fil-A in the U.K. announced eight days into its lease the pop-up venue would not be welcome to extend all because of the company's perceived anti-LGBT stance. Okay, so if the left declares war on you simply because of who you give charity to, if the left declares war on you not because your business is doing anything that is wrong or evil, but simply because you yourself are giving the money that you have earned from that business to a political cause the left disagrees with, well, then obviously you're going to throw up a middle finger to these people. Obviously, your goal is going to be to to fight back against anyone who seeks to ruin your life and your business on the basis that you disagree with them, not even in the practice of your business, but in your personal life and how you spend your money, your own money, your corporate profits, right? If that's the way this is going to work, then the divides in the country are going to grow ever stronger. Okay, so all of this is the backdrop to the impeachment inquiry. All of this is the backdrop to the, the latest in the impeachment inquiry. And so everything is polarized. So over the weekend, Attorney General William Barr gave a public speech all about the, the Democrats and the Republicans and the impeachment inquiry. And Barr said, Democrats are breaching the rules here, right? They keep talking about how Trump is breaching the rules and ruining everything. It's Democrats who are breaching the rules and ruining everything. Here's William Barr. The fact of the matter is that in waging a scorched earth, no holds barred war of resistance against this administration, it is the left that is engaged in the systematic shredding of norms and undermining the rule of law. Okay, so Barr got all sorts of flack for this. How could he say that the left is undermining the rule of law? Well, he can say that pretty easily, considering that the left has routinely shredded the rule of law. The left wants to change over the Senate. They want to get rid of the Electoral College. Stacey Abrams continues to insist she's governor of Georgia with the backing of the entire left wing and the Democratic leadership. The Democrats, even in their pursuit of the impeachment inquiry, do things like issue subpoena requests, but not formally, and then claim that the Republicans are stonewalling They try to violate the rules by going after grand jury background material from the Mueller investigation, which is supposed to be hidden by law. The the idea that the right, that the Trump administration is willy nilly breaking law and the left is just abiding by law is obviously untrue. And everybody can see it. And you can see it in the impeachment inquiry, too. You've got Adam Schiff, who has been going around saying that he hasn't made up his mind on impeachment yet. And then over the weekend, he was speaking at a California Democratic Party event. And he literally said about Donald Trump, we're going to send that charlatan back where he came from. So does anybody take this entire impeachment inquiry seriously as a matter of law, as a matter of protecting the Constitution? How can you when the head of the House Intelligence Committee, who's chairing this whole impeachment inquiry, is a, is a fraud like Adam Schiff? We will send that charlatan in the White House back to the golden throne he came from. And you know why? Because we vote. How do we build another big, beautiful wave? We vote. Okay, but does anyone really believe that he is relegating his hatred of Trump, getting rid of the charlatan, throwing him, sending him back to the golden throne, that he's relegating that 
to simple voting and get out the vote efforts? Or does that bleed into the impeachment inquiry? And then when you watch Nancy Pelosi, why do you think so many on the right are going, okay, so this is all part of a piece. The same sort of folks who backed Colin Kaepernick's charade, the same sort of folks who would like to ban Chick-fil-A from the airport, are the same sort of folks who are insisting that they stand for the Constitution when they really just want to get rid of the duly elected president of the United States. This is the emotional response of the right. Now, none of this answers the questions as to whether Donald Trump violated the law or violated his presidential duties. I've said all along, there's still open questions to be asked about Trump's behavior with regard to Ukraine. But the reason the American public is breaking down into hard and fast dividing lines is because the impeachment effort is now just part of the broader culture war. And you can see it when the Democrats talk about this stuff. Like Nancy Pelosi was on TV over the weekend and she was asked specifically what impeachable offense Trump committed and she literally cannot answer the question. She does not know the answer to this question and yet she has informed us that she is operating on the up and up and this isn't a partisan inquiry at all. The Constitution defines an impeachable offense as treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. What do you think applies to this case? We are unfolding the facts. That's what an inquiry is about. Oh, we're unfolding the facts. Oh, I see. It's what the inquiry is about. And yet, Pelosi will also say that what Trump did was much worse than what Nixon did. Nixon was about to be impeached when he quit. So here's Nancy Pelosi suggesting at the same time that while they don't have all the answers yet, they're, they're trying to get to the answers, guys, in a nonpartisan way. But also what Trump did is much worse than what Nixon did. Just as Adam Schiff says, yeah, I'm nonpartisan. I'm really just interested. I, don't, I haven't even made up my mind yet, but let's send that charlatan back to the golden throne from whence he came. Here's Nancy Pelosi doing the same routine. What the president did was so much worse than even what Richard Nixon did. But at some point, Richard Nixon cared about the country enough to recognize that this could not continue. So she's suggesting that Trump should resign on the basis that Nancy Pelosi doesn't like him, right? And then my favorite is that the Democratic, like the Democrats are, this is an impeachment inquiry in search of an impeachable crime. So you end up with it from the Democrats is over the weekend, they shift their impeachment direction and they move away from the Ukraine activity and toward the fact that President Trump said a mean tweet about Marie Ivanovich. Now, I have a lot of sympathy for Marie Ivanovich. It sounds like she got railroaded. It does. It sounds like Marie Ivanovich was working as ambassador to Ukraine and that she may have been unsympathetic to Trump, but that she didn't do anything that really violated her job description. And that there were people like Rudy Giuliani who were feeding information from people who didn't like Ivanovich to Trump and Trump fired her. Now, Trump's allowed to do that. If you're Marie Ivanovich and you're sitting there going, I didn't do anything wrong. Why did I get fired? I have some sympathy for that. But Trump attacking her and saying that she was a bad ambassador, so I fired her. That is not witness intimidation. That's what the Democrats tried to claim last week. And over the weekend, they tried to blow up this narrative even bigger. Here was Nancy Pelosi suggesting that Trump tweeting out his random stupid commentary on Maria Ivanovich on Twitter somehow amounts to an impeachable offense and witness intimidation and is very significant. Here's Pelosi being completely false about all of this. It was just his opinion. He wasn't trying to intimidate. What do you think? What the president and perhaps some at the White House have to know that the words of the president weigh a ton. They are very significant, and uh, he should not frivolously throw out insults. But that's what he does. I think part of it is his own insecurity as an imposter. I think he knows full well that he's in that office way over his head. And so he has to diminish everyone else. Okay, she's trolling, trolling, trolling. Though the river's swollen, keep them doggies trolling right. I mean, that, that <laughs> she's trying to drive Trump nuts, right? I mean, that, that is what she is trying to do. And so are members of the media, right? Here is Chuck Todd over the weekend suggesting that President Trump attacking Ivanovich was, quote unquote, authoritarian. 
Authoritarian, he's the head of the executive branch. If he wants to be an authoritarian, you know what he's capable of doing? I don't know. He could theoretically just randomly declare he's not going to enforce immigration law for a broad swath of people living in the United States like Barack Obama did. Or theoretically, his IRS could be militarized against his political opponents. Chuck Todd says, though, that Trump tweeting is authoritarian. His stream of consciousness Twitter feed, you can tell that he's rattled. And that exposed itself really with, with his tweet about the former ambassador in the, middle of the, in the middle of the testimony on Friday. Peggy, that is what struck me about all this week. You just sort of realize it's consumed him. Yes. He can't compartmentalize. Yes. Bill Clinton, and compartmentalized in ways that some of us are like, how do you do that, right? Almost overly so. Yeah. This guy can't at all to the point he had to force himself. Into he, the hearings. What he did in the hearing was, was what authoritarian people do. That was just a rough moment. Really, it was authoritarian. Also, remember how Bill Clinton compartmentalized by shooting a camel in the ass in Sudan in the middle of the impeachment inquiry? That was, that was really good. He had like a baby milk factory in Sudan in the middle of the impeachment inquiry. He, he really compartmentalized it, Bill Clinton. Wow, just magic. Okay, so in just a second, we're going to get to the big weakness that remains in the Democrats' impeachment case and how they are attempting to rectify this weakness. But you're going to have to be a subscriber in order to see the rest of the show live. If you're not already a subscriber, you're really missing out. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. For as little as 10 bucks a month, you get our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts, our full show library, select bonus content, and our exclusive Daily Wire app, which is a pretty great feature if you haven't checked it out yet. If you choose the new all-access plan, you'll get all that, plus the legendary Leftist Tears Tumblr and our brand new Ask Me Anything style discussion feature that allows you to engage our hosts, writers, and special guests on a weekly basis. We have all these magical things happening for you. So stop depriving yourself. Come join the fun over at dailywire.com. For $9.99 a month, you get that subscription. For $99 a year, you get this. The greatest in all beverage vessels, the Leftist Tears Hot or Cold Tumblr. So good that Elizabeth Warren is copying it. Go check us out over at dailywire.com. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. All righty, so what is the big hole that Democrats have in this impeachment inquiry? The big hole is they don't have anybody in the room, right? Chris Wallace points this out over the weekend. He's talking to a Democratic congressperson. He says, listen, you know, for all of your speculation, for all of the people you've had testify, not a single person that you've, to you've talked about yet has actually been in a room with Donald Trump. And until you find somebody who's in the room with Donald Trump, you don't have the material makings for an impeachment inquiry. Here's Wallace making that point. I don't know that uh, Richard Nixon, the, the impeachment investigation, he was never, of course, formally impeached, he resigned first, would have been nearly as powerful without John Dean. I'm not sure the Clinton impeachment would have been nearly as powerful without the blue dress. If you don't have anybody who can take us into the Oval Office, uh, it seems to me that creates a, a big problem. Okay, and that, of course, is exactly true. And that is why this week's testimony is only going to matter so far as Gordon Sunland. So Gordon Sunland is the EU ambassador. He's the one who's been having conversations with Trump throughout this entire process with regard to aid to Ukraine. He's the one who switched his testimony. Originally, he said there was no quid pro quo. Then he said, no, I think there kind of was a quid pro quo. His testimony is all that's going to matter. That's the point that is made by Representative Jim Himes, Democrat. He says, he says Gordon Sunland may have an unpleasant legal future before him. So I love that they are saying that Trump tweeting about Marie Ivanovich is, is witness intimidation. But a Democrat who sits on the House Intelligence Committee, I believe, can threaten the witness, right? He's, I mean, he's threatening him, right? He may have a very unpleasant legal future in front. He's threatening the witness, but that's not witness intimidation. You 
have we do have people who were in the room, chief amongst them, Ambassador Sondland. Uh, we will say I'm not going to try to prejudge his testimony, um, but he yes, he has amended his testimony. Uh, look, uh, it, it was not lost on Ambassador Sondland what happened to the president's close associate, Roger Stone, for lying to Congress, to Michael Cohen for lying to Congress. My guess is that Ambassador Sondland is going to do his level best to tell the truth, because uh, otherwise he may have a very unpleasant uh, legal future in in front of him. Not witness intimidation, guys, not witness intimidation. Democratic Representative Sean Maloney, he's also counting on Gordon Sunland. He says that Sunland's testimony will show solicitation of a bribe. The president of the United States used taxpayer-funded military assistance to pressure a foreign leader to help him in his re-election campaign. That is solicitation of a bribe, and that is an impeachable offense listed in the Constitution. And sadly, um, my friend Chris Stewart is going to get his wish this week when we get uh, testimony from Ambassador Sondland, uh, who, who at the president's instruction told the Ukrainians either go to a microphone and announce an investigation of the Bidens or there will not be military assistance. That is solicitation of a bribe. OK, so we will see whether Gordon Sondland indeed fulfills the expectations of the Democrats. He is the key witness at this point. And the Democrats, again, have not yet had anybody testify as to Trump's intent. Sunland presumably provides a window into that. So his testimony actually will matter if you think any of this is anything but a basic impeachment holdup, but just a partisan holdup. Meanwhile, President Trump is pledging this week that he may actually give written testimony that he will consider strongly testifying in writing in the impeachment probe. Now, now, if you're his lawyer, this is the only way you're going to allow him to testify, right? I mean, you're not going to allow Trump to get in front of a microphone. That would be just the stupidest thing that any lawyer could do. I mean, Trump is an awful witness if you're a lawyer because he has a norm. He has a natural Trumpian tendency to exaggerate and brag and boast and say dumb things. Right? I mean, that, that, that's what Trump does. So giving written testimony is exactly what he did in the Mueller case. It is not unexpected that he would suggest that he could do so with regard to Nancy Pelosi. He said on Monday he will strongly consider testifying in writing as part of the impeachment inquiry at the outside of a week in which eight current and former officials are scheduled to publicly testify about his controversial actions regarding Ukraine, according to The Washington Post. In morning tweets, Trump said he might take up House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on a suggestion she made over the weekend. Trump also claimed the rules of the inquiry had been rigged by Pelosi and House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. Apparently, Democrats are seeking to prove that Trump leveraged military assistance. Apparently, Senator Ron Johnson also said that the whistleblower sources exposed things that didn't need to be exposed. A former White House national security official told House investigators that Gordon Sunland was acting at Trump's behest. So it's going to be a spicy week for the Trump administration. Meanwhile, the, the and, and as I say, Sunland is going to be the key witness here because none of the other people who are in the room with Trump are slated to testify at this point, meaning John Bolton is not slated to testify at this point, despite the fact that Bolton and Trump apparently met privately over the withheld aid, according to testimony from one of these White House officials, Timothy Morrison, who is an aide to the State Department. He said, the extent of my recollection is that Ambassador Bolton simply said he wasn't ready to do it as far as holding up the aid. Now, whether Bolton testifies or not is still up in the air. Sunland, however, is booked. He has already testified behind closed doors, and so a lot is going to come down to Gordon Sunland. Meanwhile, President Trump is very angry at Mike Pompeo, apparently. He's raging at Mike Pompeo because members of the State Department have come forward and testified against Trump. Well, Pompeo can't control that. I mean, it's not up to Pompeo whether members of the State Department testify. Presumably, he's already told people he doesn't want them to testify. Trump has already said that, obviously. 
According to NBC News, Trump has fumed for weeks that Pompeo is responsible for hiring State Department officials whose congressional testimony threatens to bring down his presidency. The president confronted Pompeo about the officials during lunch at the White House October 29th. Those familiar with the matter said, inside the White House, the view was that Trump just felt like rein your people in. Apparently, Trump particularly blames Pompeo for tapping Bill Taylor in June to be the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine. But then again, in June, Pompeo didn't realize that Trump was going to just radically change Ukraine policy and decide that he was going to withhold the Ukrainian aid. So as I've said all along, there are open questions in all of this. The problem is that everything is so partisan and so polarized at this point that nobody takes it seriously. And frankly, I'm not sure that they should because it is so partisan and so polarized. Okay, with all of that said, the foreign scene continues to be incredibly chaotic. Over in Iran, protests have reached 100 cities. According to the Associated Press, Iran's Supreme Leader on Sunday cautiously backed the government's decision to raise gasoline prices by 50% after days of widespread protests calling those who attack public property during demonstrations thugs, signaling a potential crackdown loom. The government has shut down internet access across the nation to stanch demonstrations that took place in reported 100 cities and towns. Images published by state and semi-official media showed the scale of the damage and images of burned gas stations and banks, torched vehicles and roadways littered with debris. There have been accusations that Iran is using deadly force on protesters. Iranian authorities on Sunday raised the official death toll in the violence to at least three. Attackers targeting a police station in the western city of Kermanshah on Saturday killed an officer, according to the state-run IRNA news agency. A lawmaker said another person was killed in a suburb of Tehran. Ayatollah Ali Khamenei said some lost their lives. Some places were destroyed without elaborating. So people have been ignoring in the media the fact that they're roiling protests against the Iranian government. That's been ongoing for literally years at this point, which is good news for the West. You know, while the, while the Europeans are ripping President Trump for the sanctions, while the press is ripping Trump for the sanctions, the fact is that this has significantly curtailed Iran's ability to control even its own country, and it has cut down on Iran's ability to fund terror abroad. It is amusing, I will say, for the New York Times to report that Tehran has maximized its power in Iraq at the same time that the New York Times has been militating in favor of giving billions of dollars to Tehran in cash. According to the New York Times, big story in the New York Times over the weekend, hundreds of leaked intelligence reports shed light on a shadow war for regional influence. Apparently, Iran has been exerting its influence in Iraq, which, of course, everybody knew. I mean, the fact is that Iran has intervened in Iraq so much that hundreds, if not thousands, of American troops died at the behest of Iranian militias throughout the Iraq war. According to the New York Times, in mid-October, with unrest swirling in Baghdad, a familiar visitor slipped quietly into the Iraqi capital. The city had been under siege for weeks as protesters marched in the streets, demanding an end to corruption and calling for the ouster of the prime minister, Adil Abdul Mahdi. In particular, they denounced the outsized influence of their neighbor Iran on Iraqi politics, burning Iranian flags, attacking an Iranian consulate. The visitor was there to restore order, but his presence highlighted the protesters' biggest grievance. He was Major General Qasim Soleimani, head of Iran's powerful Quds force. He had come to persuade an ally in the Iraqi parliament to help the prime minister hold on to his job. Soleimani is basically backing the shadow government in Iraq. And the same Democrats who are proclaiming that Donald Trump has been too soft in his foreign policy are simultaneously attempting to cut a deal with the Iranians so they can continue to maximize their power in Syria, in Lebanon, in Iraq, in Hamasistan. According to one of the leaked Iranian intelligence cables, Mahdi, who in exile worked closely with Iran while Saddam Hussein was in power in Iraq, had a special relationship with the Islamic Republic of Iran when he was Iraq's oil minister in 2014. 
The exact nature of that relationship is not detailed in the cable. And as one former senior U.S. official cautioned, a special relationship could mean a lot of things. It doesn't mean he's an agent of the Iranian government, but no Iraqi politician can become prime minister without Iran's blessing. So there is something, again, if you're talking about the partisan politics that play into the impeachment inquiry, there is something to the Republican complaint that Democrats are deeply worried about Trump violating the protocols of international diplomacy by creating unofficial channels, while at the same time, the media cheered on the Barack Obama State Department and the National Security Council being led by Ben Rhodes, who is best known for writing crap novels that were never published in a Brooklyn apartment before cutting an Iran deal lying to the American people while doing so. It's a dangerous world out there. And the fact is that Trump administration has been a lot harsher on America's foreign policy adversaries than the Obama administration ever was. So there's a great irony to this whole idea that Trump has somehow undermined American foreign policy in dramatic ways, while Democrats continue to try to undermine America's foreign policy in dramatic ways. Another example of this, Hong Kong is now the subject of a massive crackdown. According to, the, according to TNS News, Hong Kong police and protesters hardened their battle lines over the weekend as violent clashes showed no signs of abating, leaving the city bracing for a second week of upheaval that risks disrupting pending elections. The weekend saw pitched battles with demonstrators launching bricks, Molotov cocktails, and steel balls at police, who in turn volleyed tear gas and deployed water cannons. A police media liaison officer was hit in the leg by an arrow, while protesters tossed petrol bombs at residents clearing streets strewn with bricks. Police were preparing to clear the remaining demonstrators from Hong Kong's Polytechnic University early on Monday morning, warned they could use live ammunition if they faced violence. Soldiers from the China's People's Liberation Army, the PLA, took the rare step of leaving their barracks to join cleanup efforts, which added to concern by some about China's growing control over the former British colony that has fueled five months of protests. So China is, again, trying to strengthen its grip on Hong Kong. Iran is trying to strengthen its grip on Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq. And we are being told that the solution to this is democratic policy and that Trump has undermined American foreign policy. Who do you think was appeasing China for years on end? Both administrations until Donald Trump. Who do you think was appeasing Iran for years on end? That would have been the Obama administration before Trump got there. Who was appeasing Venezuela for years on end? It was the Obama administration and the same Democrats complaining that Trump has undermined American foreign policy by setting up unofficial channels in Ukraine. They don't seem to give a damn that Venezuela has turned into an absolute hellhole at the behest of socialists and that socialists in the United States, like Bernie Sanders and Ilhan Omar, continue to provide a certain level of intellectual aid and support to the dictatorial government of Venezuela. Over the weekend, supporters of Juan Guaido staged their biggest protest in Caracas in months as Venezuela's opposition leader seeks to revive his campaign to oust President Nicolas Maduro, according to Bloomberg. A week after Maduro's ally Evo Morales was topped in Bolivia, Guaido is seeking to boost thinning crowds that have grown apathetic since a botched uprising in April failed to remove Maduro. Venezuela has been relatively quiet as Guaido lost momentum while violent protests racked Latin American countries from Ecuador to Chile. He drew crowds of hundreds of thousands earlier this year, but many followers now doubt he can unseat Maduro. Guaido's approval rating is down to 42%, down from more than 60%. So Maduro has re-solidified his grip. And it doesn't help that you have politicians of the left in the United States who continue to suggest that American involvement in Venezuela, not in terms of military involvement, but undercover involvement, support for the opposition, that that is in and of itself offensive. Again, all of this plays into how people think about impeachment. So impeachment typically should all be about the actions of the president and did they violate his constitutional duties. But when people see impeachment, what they really see, just like they have with every poll question for years, they see a proxy for the broader culture war ranging from foreign policy to domestic policy, from Colin Kaepernick and Chick-fil-A to Venezuela and Hong Kong. Everything is wrapped up into a ball. And that is how people think of politics in the United States. 
And I don't think that they are wrong to do so, frankly, because the fact is that we don't agree on enough for us to simply focus in on what the president has done right and what he has done wrong. If there were some sort of broad agreement about what American foreign policy should be, if we agreed about that sort of thing, or if there were broad agreement about what American freedom looked like, then the role of the president himself, like as a person, would not matter so much. Right? Then we could all argue in favor of the idea the president ought to go based on what the president is doing or he ought to stay based on what the president has done. But when impeachment is just a proxy for how much you hate the president or hate his policies, when you disagree with the president and therefore you want him out, and you've wanted that since day one, it makes it very difficult to take the entire impeachment inquiry particularly seriously. So that is where things stand as we enter week two of the Democrat impeachment inquiry. Again, the only testimony that's going to matter this week, you're going to see a lot of headlines that don't make any difference. The only testimony that matters this week is the testimony of Gordon Sunland, the EU ambassador, who is the only person who's been in the room with Trump who will have testified at this point in time as, the, as push comes to shove on Wednesday. Okay, time for a quick thing that I like and then a quick thing that I hate and we'll get out of here. So things that I like. So there is a very good movie. Um, it's, it's about the, it's about basically a white supremacist slash neo-Nazi who has turned from that point of view. It's based on a true story. The movie is called Skin, and it it is quite good. Now, I think that it's important to recognize that in areas where Americans agree, Americans agree. And this is a perfect example. So this movie is about a white supremacist who becomes a not-white supremacist with the help of the Southern Poverty Law Center. I think the Southern Poverty Law Center is over, over overall, I think they're garbage. I think they routinely mislabel people as alt-right when they are not. I think they routinely mislabel people white supremacists when they are not. I think they conflate everybody who is right of center with people who are violent and terrible. I think the SPLC overall does terrible, terrible work. But in this particular case, I think the SPLC did something really good and credit is due when credit is due. So the true story here is that there was an actual white supremacist and the SPLC helped this white supremacist become an anti-racism advocate and also had an anonymous donor who helped pay for this white supremacist who had all sorts of facial tattoos to get those tattoos removed so he could change his life and make his life better. That's basically what this movie is about and the movie is quite good. The movie is called Skin. Here's a little bit of the preview. Guys like this only have three options. Die young, life in prison, or... They start talking. Not on our American soil! Let them leave! It's our last gig. Why? I don't want my kids to be around this. Hey, Carlos! What you looking at? You. So the movie is is mostly based on fact. I mean, there's some exaggeration here and there, but overall it is is based on a real story. And what is great about the movie is, number one, it shows the evil of white nationalism, which is truly evil. But number two, it also shows the capacity for human redemption, and that, that is obviously quite a good thing. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So the New York Times went after FedEx over the weekend. Why? Because FedEx, it turns out, paid few, paid less in taxes this year than it did last year. A lot of that was a result of the Trump tax cut. And so the New York Times blamed FedEx for the Trump tax cut. The New York Times reported on Sunday, quote, in the 2017 fiscal year, FedEx owed more than $1.5 billion in taxes. The next year, it owed nothing. What changed was the Trump administration's tax cut for which the company had lobbied hard. Wait, wait, you mean that a company that wanted to pay fewer taxes A tax cut was passed and then they paid fewer taxes. Huge, massive, massive news. So what did they do wrong? According to the New York Times, the real problem is that FedEx had suggested that they were going to invest a bunch of money in new equipment and other assets in the fiscal year that followed, but they didn't end up doing that. 
So the Times said nearly two years after the tax law passed, the windfall to corporations like FedEx is becoming clear. A New York Times analysis of data compiled by Capital IQ shows no statistically meaningful relationship between the size of the tax cut that companies and industries received and the investments that they made. Well, that's not particularly surprising considering that the vagaries of the economy change calculations all the way through. FedEx CEO Frederick Smith has now responded to the New York Times and he just blasted them according to the Daily Wire. He called their story factually incorrect. He claimed the New York Times is the company that doesn't pay federal income taxes. And he challenged the publisher of the New York Times to debate on tax policy. Smith wrote, quote, the New York Times published a distorted and factually inaccurate story on the front page of the Sunday, November 17th edition concerning FedEx and our billions of dollars of tax payments and billions of dollars of investments in the U.S. economy. Pertinent to this outrageous distortion of the truth is the fact that unlike FedEx, the New York Times paid zero federal income tax in 2017 on earnings of $111 million and only $30 million in 2018, 18% of their pre-tax book income. Also in 2018, the New York Times cut their capital investments nearly in half to $57 million, which equates to a rounding error when compared to the $6 billion of capital that FedEx invested in the U.S. economy during that same year. So in other words, yeah, we've been spending on investments, but you double-checking our business investment calculations and suggesting that it is corrupt for us to attempt to lower our tax burden so we can operate our business with more profit is ridiculous because you guys are involved in the same rent-seeking activity. Of course, that is 100% true. But this is all part of the New York Times broader campaign to delegitimize any business that isn't the New York Times. The same way you see unions delegitimizing corporations involved in corporate spending on politics while the unions proceed to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on politics. The New York Times is hypocritical and good for the head of FedEx for pointing that out. Okay, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content, or we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director Pavel Wydowski, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, everybody, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Extremists on the right are making themselves heard through trolling and Twitter. Extremists on the left are making themselves heard by running for president and holding impeachment hearings. Awkward. We'll look at them both. I'm Andrew Claven on The Andrew Claven Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 